Everyone's quiet, but there's still time. We have thir- the 32nd bell hadn't it's just run. Great to see you tonight, church. God is uh, good again and again, right? We can keep saying that over and over again. It's great to see each of you here tonight. Let's, uh, let's go to God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for another day, a day which you blessed us and brought us through many a trial and struggle, brought us through happiness and joy. You brought us, Lord God, to the point in our lives where we can remain faithful to you. And we thank you for your wonderful Holy Spirit whom you sent to seal us to the day of redemption and for your great Son who died that we may live. Help us, please, in this Bible study to grow and to bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name we pray and thank that it be thy will. Amen. We, uh, we left off last week in John 10, verse 10, talking about um, how great it is to be affiliated, uh, to be a child of the great shepherd. And we talked about that word abundance that, you know, you think about the world says that God has given me an abundant life. And um, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill, and he came to destroy. But I came that they may have life and may have it more abundantly. And the question that I posed was, uh, in what way uh, do we, I guess, differentiate? Or, or what's, what's, what's different about being a Christian as opposed to uh, being in the world in regards to abundance? And my, my major point and thought was, our conscience is clear. And, and that's really important. And it's kind of interesting when you think about, um, about our cup, you know. Uh, and I gave this crazy, ridiculous measuring rod. Uh, you know, the world has a two-ounce cup, and we have a 64-ounce cup, right? Um, and our cup is overflowing, right? And, uh, and that's what Psalm 23 says, my cup uh, overflows. And, uh, and, and it's true, right? The Christian cup is filled and overflowing. Psalm 23 and verse 5 tells us that he, he lets us know in, in every way that, that, that his cup that he gives to the child of God is a cup that is a blessed cup that truly is overflowing. It says, Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. And certainly it, it does. And it never runs dry. And that's what Jesus was talking about. That, you know, the water I give you will be springing up within you and it will never run dry. John chapter 11. We can have happiness. We can enjoy life even when we have difficult times. Even when you go to a uh, foreign country and you meet up with brethren and, and they're suffering and struggling but serving the Lord, it's amazing to see that they have joy in Christ, right? So we find that what Jesus said in Matthew chapter uh, 3, uh, that man should not live on bread alone. Uh, it's true, or Matthew 4 rather. It's true that we have joy in Christ uh, beyond the physical fulfillment of daily, even daily food, which is incredible. And I say that uh, trying to be as, as reverent and uh, respectful as I can. But that's what I was told, and so, uh, and that's what I witnessed. 
Turn to Hebrews, please, for just a moment, in chapter 9. Part of the, the again, the Christian conscience is having, uh, or, or abundant living, if you will, is having a clear conscience. And that's what God has done for us. Now, it's our responsibility to keep our conscience clear. Right? So the Good Shepherd has provided a way for us to serve Him in abundant joy and, and to have a clear conscience because of and through His blood. But then it's the Christian's responsibility to keep or maintain a clear conscience. And we do that through repentance, right? When we have a situation in our life that is, is ungodly or wrong, we make a confession. Uh, we have repentance in our hearts. Verse, if you will, Hebrews chapter 9, 13. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So imagine living, we live our lives holistically, and imagine um, living your life with a guilty conscience. In other words, you're, you're, you're nearing the end of your life. If you were looking at it chronologically, or you just knew you only had a certain number of days left, uh, or you had 20 years left, there's something that's in the back of the head always is, one day I'm going to meet my maker. Right? And when you meet your maker, are you ready? Are you prepared? That's always the question. And that's that conscience that, that accuses uh, the world on a regular basis until they try to wipe him out completely from their minds. But then it comes back in, in times of tragedy and despair and difficulty and struggle, the idea or the question about God. And so living our lives focused only on the flesh does not bring to us what the good shepherd promised to bring, and that is completeness or abundance in living. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 6, another familiar passage that we've read many, many times. Uh, verse 19, regarding our lives. And so, so Jesus is instructing us as the good shepherd that life is more than just eating a meal and buying something. Life is deeper than that. It's, it's, we're supposed to look at life from a spiritual perspective, going or moving as Jesus tries. If you think about the uh, Old Testament, if you were to put it into a nutshell, besides Matthew 7 and verse 12, um, the law of the prophets, the, that uh, the golden rule is basically the summation of the whole Old Testament. You should love your neighbors, you love yourself. Besides that, the Old, the Old Testament is basically a physical book. It has physical requirements. It has physical things wrapped around spiritual things. But when you get into the New Testament, God elevates us. He moves us from the physical to the spiritual. So the man that has grown and matured from uh, Old Testament understanding grows to a spirit-type being, if you will, while living uh, on the earth. But when you're stuck in the physical, in the flesh, there is, there's an emptiness and there's something missing. And so verse 19 uh, says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay out for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where 
thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And what an empty heart, right? I mean, think about that. If you, you, I know you've seen it. You've seen tragedy. I remember one day, I was uh, on an on an island. I was in. As a matter of fact, I was with the uh, the stand, um, Clarence and, and Gladys and others, and they'll remember this. We were we were in a restaurant and we looked up on a hill, and there was a house on fire, and it was it was it was burning to the ground. And we looked, and, and I remember thinking to myself and asking, "Can we get? Can we dial nine? Can we call nine one one?" And that's silly. You're in a foreign place. You can't. They don't have nine one one. My thought though was, "What can we do?" And the answer from uh, those that lived there was, "There's nothing you can do. It'll burn down, and the neighbors will help them build another one." I thought it's going to just burn down to the ground, but how empty. How empty, if that's all that you had, if all of your possessions and all of your possessions, meaning your spiritual abundance and possession, was inside of that home, what a shallow life to live. And so Jesus is elevating the child of God to a, another level and saying, you got to remember something. Let's turn to Job chapter 1. you got to remember that the thing that Job said when Job lost everything, except for, obviously, his his wife. Remember that I'm going to start back in verse 20 of chapter chapter one, and we'll pick up probably in verse 21. Then Job, verse 20, arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, "Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there." The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We can take nothing with us. So as we build and build and build and enjoy the physical, the flesh, let not your mind be focused or fixated on that which will be moth-eaten and to be destroyed by rust and fire and time. So the good shepherd says, I'm going to give you a full and abundant life. And it's the way we look at life today. That Let's turn to John 17, please. It's the way that we look at life today and the way that we view our life today that will show the greatness of the joy that a child of God is supposed to have. So listen to what Jesus says in John 17. And let's think about this for just a moment in, uh, in verse 3. He speaks of eternal life. And he says, this is eternal life. That's the definition. This is eternal life. That they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. This is eternal life. So eternal life is not something that we that we enjoy in our future, but it's something that the child of God enjoys now and in the life to come. Well, wait a minute, preacher. That doesn't make any sense. Well, of course it does. Isn't that what Jesus has been teaching? He says, if you live and then you die, you will still live. Or, if you believe in me, though you die, you will still live. Or, if you believe in me, you will never die. (laughs) Why? Because who you are, the who that you are, the soul, doesn't die. It just transitions from this life onto the next. 
It's exactly what Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 and verse 6, that we are now seated with Jesus in heaven. But we're not seated with Jesus in heaven. We're on the earth. No, but that's where you're supposed to be in your mind, to understand that we are truly with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're in a place where Jesus tells us in John 14 that he went to prepare for a prepared people, right? John 14 and verse 1, uh, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And so that transition is where the abundance comes from. That now there is this amazing transition from this life to the next life. There's this word, this 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 word that is is um one that people reach for and and strive after and 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 grope for. Mostly in trials, mostly in times of trial, but they grope for it, they long for it. When you want something, when you really, really want it, this word is something that comes to mind. But for the Christian, it's the way we live our lives. A life filled with hope. Hope. So Romans chapter 5 says the Christian hope is an abundant hope. And what I mean by that is the Christian hope is not quite like the worldly hope. For our hope is very, very different. Our hope in Christ. So let's think about this for just a moment. In Romans 5, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So notice the text. Notice what has already happened. You've already been justified. Therefore, you already have hope. Right? You've already been justified. So now you stay faithful to God. And here's this hope that is a hope that's sure, right? It's like our anchor. Our hope is anchored on the anchor. The anchor is Jesus Christ, the faith, the salvation of our soul. So the tense says it's past. You've already been justified, and therefore that produces the hope that's within you. The hope. What is the hope? Not, I hope tomorrow's a better day. It's, wow, tomorrow, if Jesus comes, we get to go home. Right? In verse 2 it says, Though through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. Our hope is not through or in a person. It's in God. And if it's in God, you can't fail. You can't go wrong. You can't lose. It's an absolute impossibility. And so the word hope really loses its power as a Christian because it's beyond hope. It's hope against hope. It's amazing versus being hopeless. Verse 3 goes on. And not only this, there's more to it. But we also exult in our tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character, hope. So there's the trial of life, right? You go through some stuff, but it doesn't matter because what does God do every single time? Bring you through it, right? He brings us through every single trial. 
There's a scripture in Hebrews that it, it talks about Jesus and it, it describes Jesus as being rescued. And the Father heard him because of his piety. But wasn't he on the cross? And didn't he die? And God says, yeah, you, you, don't, you don't have the perspective right. Death isn't a loss for a child of God. Death is a transition. And it's a matter of how we see it. It's a matter of how we live our lives in this, with this thought of this understanding of, of our Christian hope and our Christian abundance that overflows. It's what keeps us faithful because it's something we don't want to lose. And it's something we look forward to, to receiving our blessedness, our blessed hope from our God. We look forward earnestly for that. In fact, Second Corinthians 5 says while we're in this tent, we groan, right? We groan for what God has, has for us. We groan to leave this body, but we don't want to be clothed naked. So we groan for our new body, right? We want our transition. We want that acceptable body. And it's coming. Our hope is not something where we go, you know, I sure hope this happens. It's steadfast and sure, isn't it? Right? It's already done. It's already happened. But for a little while, we're kind of stuck in the flesh. Right? Now, verse 4. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. So in other words, you haven't given up, nor given in. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so here as God's children, we we have a good shepherd who does everything for us. So much so to where when we get there in a moment, Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because he is your shepherd, there's nothing to concern yourself with. There's nothing to be worried about. Everything's covered. Everything's finished. Everything's done. When Jesus said in Luke um, 19.34, I believe it is, when he said it is finished, everything's finished. Everything's accomplished. The will of God is done. The plan of God is finished. The plan from the days of eternity is done. It's finished. It's good. It's over. We've already won. We cannot lose. You cannot lose something you've already won. You've already won. And so the good shepherd brings us to this point where he says, here is how you won. John 10. This is how the child of God has won this battle that, I mean, it's a, it's a fierce battle. It, uh, it appears as though over and over again we've lost. We hear so much um, maybe negativity or we've heard so many things in, in light of negativity, in light of our lives, saying, you know, I take uh, ten, one step forward and ten steps backwards. Um, you know, why God? Why is this always happening to me? We hear all of this negativity. But the Christian doesn't view life in that way, I hope. So we're not supposed to. Instead we say, you know, I've taken one step backwards and uh, one step forward and ten steps backwards. Well, you know what? There's something back here I haven't done yet. Got to get that finished first. And then I can go forward. Because I'm not really ready. I'm not ready to go ten yet. I was only ready to go one. Right? And now I got to take a step back because I thought I was ready. And I found that I wasn't ready. I mean, God has got this, right? I mean, do you really believe that? I don't know. Do we really believe that God really, truly, honestly 
has us covered. So he, he says, this is how you can know. This is how you can know that I've got it covered. It's in John 10 and verse 11. Because it has nothing to do with you. <laughs> right? That's what's so beautiful about it. See, verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You don't have to worry about it. It had nothing to do with you. In other words, if it has something to do with me, there's a possibility I would fail. I would miss the mark. I would, I would not be able to accomplish the very will of God. But it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the good shepherd. And the good shepherd has already laid down his life for me. How many of us are going to throw that away? Can't throw that away. Cannot throw that away. Now think about laying down his life. Right? To lay down his life took courage, took love, took commitment, and, and so many other things. But when I think about laying the good shepherd, laying down his life, start putting things in perspective. And I ask a few questions. How many of us would lay down our lives for our enemies? See, because Romans 5 said, though for the good man, some perhaps would even dare die. (laughs) So we're talking about the enemy, right? How many of us would do that? Not for the one that we love, for our children, our spouses, for our family members, even maybe you might say the local church. The local church. How about your enemy, your known enemy, your sworn enemy? Who would do that? Well, if you hoped in that, um, that might not be good. But we hope in Christ. Now, here's what Christ did. I want to give you a picture because the Bible gives us a picture. First Samuel 17. And I want us to think about this for just, just a moment. And David was a, a, a warrior. We know that. Um, but I want you just to think about what David, what he describes. When he says, okay, Goliath is a really big man, and there's no way that we can beat him. Except, I trust in God, the guy's going to die. Right? I mean, that was what it was. Listen to what it says in verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a bunny rabbit... and a snail came and took a lamb from the flock. Boy, and I got that bunny rabbit. Right? That's what I mean. I can deal with that one. Okay. He doesn't say a lioness. He says a lion. Even if it were a lioness, it wouldn't matter. So imagine for just a moment. You're the shepherd, a good shepherd, and, and you see a lion approaching hungry, and he sees or she sees the prey, that one little lamb, do you, A, step back and say, I was thinking of Jay Lee, I told the lamb not to go over there. I, I told him, right? I told you don't go over there. Why is the lamb over there, right? I told you not to go over there. So now that you're over there, now I'm thinking about us, right? You're on your own. I mean, I'm going to take care of the 99, and the one is on its own. But that's not what David says he did. Right? 
Now, how many of you, how many of us, this is a rhetorical, it's not even rhetorical, it's just a stupid question. How many of us will go chase after a lion with a stick? I know I'm not going to do it. Maybe you will, but I will never chase a lion with a stick. So I'm not a good shepherd. <laughs> right? I'll just be straight up honest with you. Um, okay, he doesn't stop there. We live in Alaska, right? He says, okay, maybe you live up north. <laughs> Let me get you. Okay, there's a bear. Now, there are bears down uh, where they live as well. A bear came hungry with a desire to attack that lamb or that sheep. And when that bear came, what did, what did David do? He fought the bear for the one sheep or lamb. And you go, what's wrong with you? Well, that's the good shepherd, right? Let's read that again, the whole thing. Verse uh, 34. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took uh, the lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed. See, this is just too much. Okay. The first image was you saw the lion or the bear approaching. But the reality is the lion has already been in the midst of the flock, already has its prey in its mouth and is carrying it off. And then you grab your little stick, right? And you run after the bear or after the lion and you start hitting that lion who is hungry, who has the sheep in his mouth, and you fight that lion until he drops the sheep. And then you start thinking like me. If he drops the sheep, he might come after me. <laughs> but you, you have to fight the lion off and then still rescue the sheep. And probably you need to carry the sheep home because it's been injured by being in the mouth of the lion or the bear. How many of us would do that? See, but that's what Jesus did, didn't he? See, you don't, the fight that we're in, sometimes we are carried off. We are carried off by, the, by Satan, by the lion, by the bear. And we hurt when it's all over, right? After he stung us a bit and wrestled us down and beat us up a little bit. It was Jesus who rescued us, wasn't it? Time and time and time again. What is this lesson series about? Falling in love with Jesus. Right? How many times? We could, I could sit down if you want to. And we can go start on, on one side or the other and just do a round robin. And, and you answer the question, how many times has Jesus saved you? Right? Instead of looking at you and saying, Tony, I, I've told you not to go over there and you won't listen. How many times has Jesus saved me? That's why we have an abundance of life. Because his love for us pours over in such a way to where it's so amazing. To where God knows everywhere I have been and everywhere that I'm going. And he takes care of me. How many times has Jesus, the good shepherd, saved you? Okay, let's contrast that. How many times have you hurt or, or gone through something and you thought for sure someone would be there and people let you down. 
Jesus never, He has never, ever let you down. Ever. Right? Ever. So, you know, the idea of loving Jesus is pretty easy. When He says, I'm the good shepherd, I am not like the hireling. I am not like the thief. I am the good shepherd. There's no one like me. The strange concept of a God who serves, uh, it still echoes in the minds today. How, why would a God serve, right? In every other hemisphere, in every other idea of life, the God is served by the human. The God doesn't serve, right? You have to build your God with your own hands. You have to clean it and refashion it and take care of it and move it from place to place. And if you were to move from one house to another, you have to grab your God and take Him with you. Because if you don't, He'll remain in that home. Think about that. The world is stuck, isn't it? Okay, turn back to John chapter 10. So he goes on to say in his description of being the good shepherd who... Uh, gives or brings life in abundance and happiness to say, here's something else that qualifies me to be the good shepherd. I know my sheep. John ten fourteen. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Now what we're going to have to do at some point tonight, is ask the question, do you know the shepherd? Do you know the shepherd? So Jesus says, I know you. If you're his sheep, I know you. That word, know, is, you know, it's hard to, uh, uh, to, to really de- define. There's too many, there's too much time, uh, maybe. When you look at a shepherd, I'll talk about a shepherd in a moment. Um, let me just give it to you now. Let me think about this for a second. I don't want to do this. Alright. The shepherd knows you. So what does that mean? Maybe we can ask, maybe we can ask that question of the audience if you would like to just think about what that means. What does it mean to you? Right? It's not just that, uh, you know, we think about the scriptures, but what does it mean to think of the fact that God knows you. And then how does that feel? And I'll tell you about this while we're... My, do you have the microphone back there? Okay, good. So he'll, he'll come around with the microphone. Let me let me start with, with, with me for a moment. When I first began to understand that Jesus knew me, it was a joy mingled with terror. <laughs> Because uh, it's kind of hard to trick God, <laughs> and and when I and, and when I realized that He He knew me, then it 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 challenged the prayer life, you know, because you know you have to figure out how you're going to explain what you did, right? And you can't say, well, uh, all right, so God, this is what happened. Um, so they, you can't do that with God. <laughs> he already knows, right? And then it, it, the challenge of, well, 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 why were you there? Well, 
you know, you can't do that with God. And so on one hand, it was like, wow, he knows he's got it. He's got me pegged. So wait a minute, I just need to be honest. And what then I realized through growth, what an amazing gift. I don't have to explain it. He already knows. Isn't that great? Right? And he and he knows he knows how hurt I am and how hurt I was. And even though he doesn't justify it and say, Well, that's a good excuse. He knows me intimately. And so the shepherds would would investigate the sheep. I mean, come close to them. They would come they would inspect the sheep to make sure uh they're they're not tormented with uh, insects, because sheep don't sleep if they're tormented by insects, and make sure they don't have any cuts and bruises, and make sure they're not, li- you know, he would, he knew them physically, he knew them, and, and he knew them, you know, whatever kind of um, mental uh, addition to that, he knew when they were hurting, or when they were struggling in some way, but that's what the point, that's the point of what Jesus is trying to tell us in verse 14, that I know you. I know you. And what a great and amazing joy it is for Jesus to know me. Just so excited about that. So excited. And so when I said I don't have to I'll be ashamed for a moment, but then I need to I need to go on and get on my knees and just just make it right, right? Immediately, right? I don't want to forget one. I know they say, Well, you're gonna pray a lot. Well I know that's the whole point. <laughs> if that's what it takes, right? Okay. Uh, what does it mean? What do you think? How does that, how does that make you feel? What does it mean to you uh, when you think about the fact that Jesus knows you? Does anyone want to comment on that? If you do, just kind of raise your hand. If not, we'll move on. Yeah, okay, thank you. Um, what, what, is that, what does that mean? How does that make you feel inside to know that? Okay, Brother Scott, thank you. It's uh, comforting, I guess, that how much he knows us. Uh, in Jeremiah, in the first chapter, when he talks about he knew us before he formed us in the womb. I mean, he's known us more than we've been alive and more intimately than we know ourselves, thankfully, because mm-hmm. he gives us tips on how we could be successful. Um, so it's very uh, comforting that he does that and that he knows us, again, more than we know ourselves because we can be confusing sometimes. Amen to that. Comforting. Um so, there's, the, and then back there when you're finished, comforting. I ought to, I should have had a notepad and write these things down. Wait, right here, Jay, and then back in the back, but. Go ahead, right here, and then we'll go back to Danny. Comforting. It's a relief for the reasons you just stated, it, because you can't make any excuses. You don't have to go and be like, well, what happened was, right. because he knows I'm rotten. Mm-hmm. You know why I did it, and you know I'm rotten. I don't. It's just a relief. I just right. have to be sorry. Right. So right. I say relief. 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 That's good. Comforting. It's comforting to know that the Savior knows us intimately. It's a relief to know that I don't have to try to pretend, right? I can just be me. He made me, right? Okay. Yes. Any about it? When, when you asked that question, my first thought was 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, where it says, yes. There hath no temptation right. overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God right. is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will uh, allow, right. uh, uh, give you the strength to bear up under it. That's um, and so uh, 
we face many, many temptations, especially when we, we leave the, the assembly of the family here and go back out into the world to, to interact with them. Uh, we face many temptations, and, and we, you know, I'm thinking about our young people too. Uh, but, but God is involved in our resistance to that every step of the way. He's with us. He's been, he's been promised to be with us um, uh, uh, in the form of the Holy Spirit. Um, 24 7 uh, we're never without him uh and so uh that that can feel uh initially um uh, you know as as a, a neophyte you know as 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 a young christian uh that can be intimidating but you know eventually you grow to take comfort in knowing that god is present with you always uh and knowing that is a tremendous help in resisting temptation Right, that's right. You know, uh, along with that, in, in 1 Corinthians 10, he digs in, you know, while the shepherd, the physical shepherd, is searching for parasites or insects, God is searching the mind, right? The heart. Because he has to know what you need to get through your next trial or situation or, or temptation in life. Testing, whatever it may be that comes our way. And he always has... He has the way already laid out for you. And, you know, when you say 1 Corinthians 10, I always, I say this all the time, and it, it, I don't know that I have a scripture for it, um, but if he always gives us a way out, I always wonder how many, how many traps Satan has laid for me that God removed before my day began. Because he says, no, Tony's not ready for that one, he can't handle that one. Nope, you can't handle that one, you know. Took them away, the things that were, were necessary. I think the only scripture I think of is maybe out of all the Job lost, maybe if God had allowed Satan to continue, or maybe God stopped Satan, because maybe the wife, maybe that would have been the, the one that was too much for him to bear. Right? You know, or, or, or maybe it would have been a certain, in other words, he had what he needed to sustain him through all of that he, he, he struggled with, even though he thought he was doing this all alone. That means God knew him intimately. Um, John 17, verse 9 and verse 10, God tests the mind, right? He tests the mind. And that's what he does. He searches the mind to find out Okay, who are you? What can you handle? What can you bear? How many times, we, you know, we say this, I hear Christians saying this, and I, I wish we could all together collectively write a book and we could call it Right on Time, right? And, and that's how many times has God come right on time, I mean, right? It's like, dear Lord, help me. Yeah, I need you and I know you're going to be there. I trust you, God. And then the time's getting closer and closer and closer and you're like, oh, no, no, no. And you're trying to convince your yourself you believe it but your faith might be a little shaken and you're still wanting to believe it and then it's always right on time he's always when i thought i couldn't do anymore when i thought i couldn't go on the good shepherd came right on time always right always he has never ever forsaken us ever and so, the good shepherd, he's trying to explain to us just 
just how good he is, right? You just got to think about it. You just got to allow God's word to resonate in your heart or in your mind. Let's look at 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2. This idea of right on time, that God is always there. Jesus is the good shepherd. 2 Timothy 2, verse 19. Verse 19. So with this idea and this thought and this understanding, here's this. God is our foundation. And when God is your foundation, you know, you're all right. You got a good foundation. And Jesus is that foundation, that capstone. If, if we have a good foundation, we're going to be all right, right? Verse 19. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. So, we, we have this, um, you know, we have been sealed in the Holy Spirit. Now, some folks have taken that to mean once saved, always saved. And that's not what the Bible is teaching in any way, shape, or form, right? We know that. Uh, but we have, we have been sealed by, uh, the Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians 1 tells us that. Ephesians tells us that. Um, Je- Jesus tells us that. The only Christians can receive the Holy Spirit. The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. John, uh, chapter what? 15, I think it is, or 14. We have this seal though. You know, the emperor would have his seal, his stamp. We have a seal. We have God. He is our seal. Right? And that seal of being a child of the king, of being the sheep of the good shepherd, is sure and steadfast. It's unshakable. The Bible tells us that in Hebrews, right? We are members of an unshakable kingdom. It's unshakable. It's something that is, First Peter chapter 1, reserved for you. We have a heavenly home that is reserved. When you came to Christ and surrendered in the waters of baptism, you made this, if you will, reservation, right? God has put us in a contract. You made this, this type of reservation that cannot be canceled by anyone, only by you. And so we'll, we'll close tonight with the, thinking about, you know, our situation in Christ that, you know, if you are a child of God and you're struggling in your faith and you are, are, are considering canceling your reservation, don't. Don't walk away from God. Don't walk away from the good shepherd. There are wolves and sheep everywhere who are waiting for you to walk outside of. Job chapter 1 teaches us about this, this hedge of protection. Don't step outside the hedge of protection. Stay within. And if you're not a Christian and you're, and you're, you're looking for Jesus, here he is. Surrender to him in the waters of baptism. You know, haven't believed his word. You've heard it already. You've believed it. You've been studying and thinking about God. Uh, you have a godly sorrow in your heart. You're ready to confess his name before men and then be baptized, immersed in water. Let the old man die and the new man be resurrected, lifted up. Why not put your lives, all of us, why not keep our lives in the hands of a good, faithful, trustworthy shepherd? Jesus. Right? What a what a great joy it is to be a child of God. So tonight I'm thankful to you for your time. Thank you for your comments um, and for helping me with this lesson. Thank you for your participation, those online and those who are here present uh, tonight. 
thank you for your attendance. Thank you for your support. And then finally, thank you for the love that you share, the love that you have for God, because that's encouraging to see other, other Christians, other saints who really love God more than, more than this world. Thank you for your time tonight. God bless each and every one of you.